You're listening to episode 17 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and today is all about the numbers, 12 or 13, 4 or 5. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. We are officially into spring training games, which, uh, from my perspective, means a lot of nothing right now. But nonetheless, it makes us feel a little bit better about where we are in relation to baseball being back for good for the season. And Alex, uh, there have been some things happen <laughs> in the last week or so. There's always news when when guys get on the field and you start to see them uh, work together as uh, maybe new teammates or whatever the case may be. There's always worries about pitchers being injured. And uh, well, sure enough, after we did an entire show about Carlos Martinez last week, uh, the news broke that he's not necessarily injured, but slowed down as far as his throwing program goes. And it's going to keep him likely out of the starting rotation, at least at the beginning of the season. So before we dive into more of the development of the spring, um, I guess, Alex, let's talk a little bit about Carlos Martinez and uh, and this new news that sent everybody sort of reeling after the first couple of days of the spring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, personally, I'm kind of worried this is going to be one of those uh, airport delays where they first tell you it's just like, you know, your flight's delayed 15 minutes. And then you're like, yeah, whatever. That's I can live with that. And then slowly, you know, it, it tur- 15 minutes turns into an hour or whatever. I'm sort of worried that's going to happen um, here with Carlos Martinez, as we see happen so often with pitchers. Uh, you know, like I think Michael Waka last year, when he first missed a start, I, I don't remember what month that was. Um, there wasn't necessarily talk of him not pitching again for the, right. the remaining of the season, but that's that's basically what happened, right? So I, I'm a little concerned um, about Carlos, and uh, in turn, that makes me a little concerned about that fifth spot, too. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit prior to that show, um, and even in last week's show. Like, If Carlos Martinez isn't ready to start the year in the rotation – all of a sudden you're looking at some depth issues for the Cardinals. And and I don't think they see it that way because I think they have a ton of confidence in guys like Austin Gomber and even Ryan Helsley, who's been impressive so far in, in his outing um, in one of those early spring training games. And, um, you know, Dakota Hudson and, and John Gant, who did it last year. There are guys that can pitch in that fifth spot, but it does – open the door for some uh, unpredictability as far as who that guy is and and what they're capable of doing on a consistent basis. We talked about Dallas Keuchel or, or someone with that sort of pedigree and how they could fit into that spot. It doesn't look like the Cardinals are going to make a move like that, uh, although they've they've made um, late season or late spring, I should say, pitching moves before. Uh, it didn't work out so well, but nonetheless, they have that option. I don't know how you feel about it, though. To me, it it doesn't really seem like they have any interest in going outside the organization at this point. No, um, it doesn't, although there's still plenty of time for, for things like that to happen. Um, you know, losing Carlos Martinez hurts because it's not like losing Adam Wainwright, it, where you're just replacing the fifth guy with another fifth guy. You know, you, you're losing... Yeah. 
Carlos, who is, um, you know, I, you know, they announced that Michael is starting opening day, but you know, I think there's still a reasonable argument to be made that he's the best pitcher or at least a second or third best pitcher. And so then everyone kind of gets pushed back a slot and that just weakens the rotation. Um, I would not be against them inquiring about Dallas Keuchel, especially if, you know, they could get him on something for just like three years. Uh, if, if they do have a lot of confidence in their internal options, then, you know, I, I certainly hope they're correct. Uh, I will say to illustrate that, you know, I'm sitting here and they're all sitting there by, by them. I mean, the front office last year, I wrote like a Cardinals uh, preview for the website banished to the pen, which, which I do every year. Um, and I barely even talked about Miles Michaelis. Uh, I, I didn't even consider him like, it's not that I didn't consider him. I certainly didn't foresee him being what he was, whereas the front office did. They knew yeah. way more than I did. So maybe in this case, they know way more than um, the rest of us about Dakota Hudson or Gant or whoever. Uh, that would surprise me more than Michaelis's breakout did because, you know, he was pretty coveted by several teams when he, when he decided to come back to MLB. So I, I tried to, I guess, be a little cautious in saying you have to absolutely go out and get Dallas Keuchel, but man, it sure seems like it would make sense to at least inquire in that. Yeah, it, it does. And that's one of a number of things that, that seem like it makes perfect sense. I was informed that last week we failed to mention Bryce Harper, which is against all of the rules we did, until we he signed mention, somewhere. We didn't mention Bryce Harper at all? Daniel Shopta tells me. I haven't gone back to we, confirm this. I'm trying to remember. Okay, we, we talked about Carlos. We didn't talk about Bryce Harper. Yeah. Uh, then we talked about, uh, I guess, Colton Wong, Colton Wong a little bit. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess he wouldn't have come up. That surprises me. Um, <laughs> Okay. So this is the uh, obligatory Bryce Harper mention as he has yet to sign anywhere and is evidently scheduling, you know, just casual meet and greet sessions with teams at this point in uh, in the spring, which is very odd. And we don't really have time. I mean, we could just, you know, go off on that rabbit trail if we wanted to. But there are plenty of other things from Cardinal spring training that unfortunately don't include Bryce Harper at this point. Um, but there are things to talk about instead of that. So as far as Carlos is concerned, I, I agree. I think it's a little concerning. I, I think that what they do to fill in that fifth spot in the rotation, which it sounds like Carlos won't be ready for um, at the beginning of the season. And certainly there's a, an exaggerated timeline there that's going around. I, I believe you said that um, it, it was discussed on the Seeing Red podcast. It sounds like a Peter Gammons piece indicated that he might be back in the rotation by June. To me, that seems like a very extended delay, uh, considering they're at this point only moving back his throwing program two weeks, but nonetheless, not in the rotation to start the year, which causes a, a bit of a ripple effect uh, when you make out that opening day roster, the, the 25 guys who break camp with the major league team. That always gets complicated because there are a few cuts that are always going to be more difficult. Um, but as far as the pitching is concerned, of course, this is an ongoing thing every spring. It was always an issue with Mike Matheny that, you know, he wanted that extra pitcher. Um, the Cardinals have plenty of pitching, but Alex, do you, do you feel like, especially in perhaps the absence of Carlos Martinez, that they need that extra pitcher? So by that extra pitcher, you mean kind of the 13-man um, pitching? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know I have strong opinions necessarily either way. I will say this. If they want to just have a four-man bench this season, I will feel better about that than I have in years past. Um, 
I, I think for two primary reasons. One, you know, guys like Jed Jerko, um, Tyler O'Neill can play all over the uh, outfield. Uh, Jairo Munoz is, you know, pretty versatile in the infield. When you have guys like that who can play kind of all over or, or at least play several spots, that allows you to be more flexible with a with a smaller bench. Second reason, I feel as you know, I, I think with Matheny, there's a lot of talk about how you know he always wanted that reliever that you know he never used and would only use in case of emergency. But I I, I was always nervous about that short bench with Matheny for how often he would you know double switch out. You know, I'm going way back in time, but like you know, Matt Holiday is the most uh, widely used example because it was the most egregious um, <laughs> double switch. It always seemed like. Uh, and, you know, those games that would go extra innings and I, I would always get, you know, anxious about our bench being basically down to to nobody. Uh, and so I don't feel as though Schilt will – I feel as though Schilt will handle that better than Matheny ever did. Um, and so from that standpoint, I can certainly live with a four-man bench. I would probably prefer to have a five-man bench um, and, uh, and 12 pitchers, but I'm not – yeah, it's not going to be a big sticking point with me either way. Yeah, I do think that it's a little bit hard for all of us to sort of break out of the uh, <laughs> expecting the weird double switches and the pitcher who's under glass break in case of emergency because we've gotten so used to that. It will be interesting to see how Mike Schilt and Mike Maddox uh, work on how to create the best possible lineup when they when they do break camp. Um, I, I would tend to agree. I think that it gets a little tricky as far as the the pitching is concerned because of a couple of those guys that are out of options. Of course, John Gant, Mike Myers, guys that are going to have to be on the team in some respect, unless the Cardinals can maybe pull off a trade and, and clear out some of that space. But um, just real quick, if, if you uh, don't mind thinking about who those pitchers mm-hmm. would be, obviously the rotation seems pretty clear except for that fifth spot right now. So Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, Michael Walker, Adam Wainwright, who is in your bullpen if uh, <laughs> if you were to choose? Yeah, those I guys? guess that's another. I, this could have been my third reason why I guess I could live with a four man bull, uh, four man uh, bench is because there's so many pitchers. It, it feels like um, <laughs> so the equation kind of changes a bit if let's say John Gant becomes that fifth um, that fifth starter. Uh, you know, because as right. you said, he's out of options, um, and so we know he has to be on. Um, he's going to be on the club, and so. Let's see who else. So we have, I think we can agree that Andrew Miller and Jordan Hicks are um, no doubters. Right. Myers, as you said, out of options. So he's a no doubter. So that brings us to uh, three bullpen arms. Um, would you consider Brebbia a no doubter? To me, yes. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think I would too. Okay. So that's four. Uh, Dominic Leone, no doubter. Yep. Okay. Five. Uh, Brett Cecil, um, this is where it starts to get a little, yeah. little trickier. But we have uh, Brett Cecil and Shreve. Uh, that if we kept both of them, that would bring it to seven. Yeah, um, by my count. Yeah. So so pushing Gant up to the uh, starting rotation that does kind of I guess make it a little easier. We're still talking about Dakota Hudson, uh, Ponce de Leon, Austin Gomber. Um, Helsley, that would mean all four of those guys are starting the season in Memphis if we're talking about a 12-man, if we're talking about 12 pitchers. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's just so many. uh, It's it's good. I'm glad. Um, There's just so many pitchers. um, Well, and and that 
doesn't take into account a potential for Carlos Martinez starting in the bullpen as oh, opposed and, to in the yeah, rotation or Alex, Alex Reyes. Reyes. Yeah, Alex <laughs> Reyes. Okay, so um, I'm still kind of on the wait and see mode with Alex Reyes in terms of uh, where he's at health wise. It seems like uh, what did Schilt say today about him that he was? Uh, he uh, said that he basically stood in the outfield and just cackled. <laughs> At, uh, at the pitches he was throwing. That's that's the information okay. that I saw. But it was so good. Um, the movement was so great. And uh, okay. I mean, so I guess, I- so he, he struck out the first batter on uh, three straight curveballs, uh, went 0-2 on fastballs to the next batter and struck him out with a curveball that Mike Schilt was evidently quite amused by. So okay. good sign. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so here's what I say, in light of that, here's what I was saying about Alex Reyes. Um, Similar to Jaime Garcia in years past, I always wanted him, if he was healthy enough to pitch, to be pitching in St. Louis. Because you always felt like he only had a limited amount of pitches anyway, <laughs> just because, you know, it was, it was so unfortunate. Cause, but he was just, you know, injury prone. And so I'd rather him throwing, I'd rather him be throwing those pitches in St. Louis versus Springfield or Memphis. And that's kind of how I feel about Reyes. Like if he's healthy, if he's ready, then I want those pitches being thrown in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think I worry a little bit about this idea that they're kind of pushing his program forward because of what happened to Carlos Martinez. I, for me, I worry about that process. Um, you know, if they have a plan for him and they're they're convinced it's the right way to go, and then they alter it because of what other guys are doing, that mm. concerns me a little bit. Um, however, if they alter the plan because he's ahead of schedule or because he responds differently, um, all of this is a, a learning process and, and everyone's trying to figure out the best way to keep him on the mound and, and to get him there this season. So if that's the reason for moving forward a little bit quicker than expected, then great. By all means, I would love to see Alex Reyes pitching uh, out of the major league, either rotation or bullpen to start the season because he's that special. It just concerns me a little bit, this idea that, and and maybe it's sort of blown out of proportion, like a lot of things tend to be this time of year, um, but that his program has been accelerated uh, simultaneous to Carlos Martinez's program being delayed. Um, and like I said, I just, I think that his plan needs to be specific to him uh, before they start making changes based on what other guys are doing. <laughs> no, I certainly agree with that. Um, but I would also add, I can't imagine they would play loosely with him at this yeah. point. Like, I, I feel as though they would be as conservative as they need to be based on his injury history. But no, I, I agree. I think that's a good point. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying, though, is if they if if they break camp, you know, end of March and he's with the team, I'm going to assume he's with the team because he's ready. Right. I just right. can't imagine yeah. them, yeah, being being irresponsible with him at this point. Yeah, I think the uh, the pressure at this point to get it right with Alex Reyes is is pretty high for sure. But that leads us to those position players, right? And and if there's a four man bench, uh, if there's a five man bench, either way, there are going to be some tough calls as far as who gets that last spot when you look at the guys that they have available. And this year it's interesting. It's one of those years where you feel like any of those options that could be in one of those four or five bench spots could probably have starting jobs on a team somewhere. So there's a lot of ability. There are guys who are accustomed to a lot more at bats than they're going to get this season. 
Um, so Alex, I mean, when, when you look at the guys, we're talking about Jose Martinez, who just signed a, a new contract. We didn't even talk about that. Uh, Jed Jerko, Jairo Munoz, Tyler O'Neill, Drew Robinson, who was brought in to be the left-handed bat off the bench. Uh, not all those guys, especially when you add in Francisco Pena, who's going to be the backup catcher. Oh my! Not gosh. all those guys can make the team, right? I just realized I totally forgot about Francisco Pena. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Sorry to interrupt yet again. Evidently, it's hard to keep up with the minute-by-minute breaking news of St. Louis Cardinals spring training when, you know, you record a podcast ahead of time. Point is, we're about to talk about Francisco Pena. Turns out there's also Matt Wieters as an option for the backup catcher to Yadier Molina. The point of all of this is to say, whichever guy that is, they're going to take one of the bench spots. So just keep that in mind. All right, I'm backing up. I I, I want a five man bench. Um, <laughs> what you don't uh, have confidence yeah. in Francisco Pena as a pinch hitter? I, <laughs> I I have confidence in Francisco Pena to be um, exactly what he's um, been brought here to be, which is a backup catcher who barely ever plays. Um, <laughs> and and he, he can do that. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's not good at all. I think you know. I I don't feel too bad saying that. I think because I think. Uh, we would all agree the evidence bears that out, <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay. This completely changes the dynamic because unless they're not going to have uh, a lefty on the bench, that means one of, um, I guess O'Neill or, or Munoz is not going to be with the club because we know Jerko and Martinez are going to be right. with the club. Right. Yeah. So it's it, it, to me, when you're talking about these bench guys, uh, Pena is guaranteed a spot. Jose Martinez is guaranteed a spot. Jed Jerko, on, assuming he's not traded somewhere last minute, is mm-hmm. going to be uh, on the team. Right. So that's three of those guys right there. Robinson, Munoz and O'Neill all have major league pedigree as far as their uh, their value to the team. I, I don't know how you go about making that decision between those three guys at this point, assuming, again, that there are 12 pitchers, 13 position players when they break camp. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a tough one. I, I guess stipulating that none of them will be traded. I don't know how much they really value having that that left-handed bat off the bench, but I feel like they need to have something, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I would probably... Okay, so we have Francisco Pena, Drew Robinson, the lefty. I think you got to go Jerko Martinez and and Tyler O'Neill, um, and have I guess Munoz um, start the season in Memphis. Am, am I missing yeah. something? Am I am I doing no, my math wrong? <laughs> no, that's okay. that's sort of the the way that I keep looking at this too. And it's interesting because I, I feel like if you eliminate the whole right-handed left-handed thing, to me, it's Munoz and, and O'Neill that make the team. Absolutely. Um, but the the fact that the Cardinals made such a point of going out to get a left-handed bench bat this offseason to then not have him make the club makes that move seem a little silly to me. Maybe that's maybe I'm overthinking that a little bit, but it, it kind of makes it look like they they went out and technically got a left-handed bench bat, but not one that was good enough to break spring with the team, which seems a little strange. Uh, so when you add that into the mix, it's it's almost like, I don't know how to say this so that it doesn't sound uh, like a negative, but it's almost like that's an automatic advantage for him because he's the only left-handed guy in that mix, right? So that he has that uh, sort of that box checked regardless of what else he does this spring. Now, I don't think if he goes out and has a horrendous spring, uh, they're going to put 
Munoz at AAA just because he's not left-handed. Um, but it does add an interesting wrinkle to this puzzle when it, if you take that out of the mix, he's probably the odd man out. Well, it's also worth thinking about, and I, I guess this wouldn't be a problem because they would just call him up, but I was going to say, like, if Paul DeYoung, for whatever reason, um, gets hurt or any time, you know, he has a day off, if, if Munoz isn't with the club, then um, Jerko's playing shortstop. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's done it before, and, and it's uh, it, it's not a disaster at all, but he's, I think, so much more better better utilized playing third base, um, second base, or even first base um, from time to time if he has to fill in for someone um, than he is at shortstop. But, but again, I guess that's not the – biggest deal because if Paul DeYoung's hurt then they just call up uh they just call up Munoz and have him fill in that spot yeah yeah it just it seems like Munoz did everything he needed to do to prove himself last year as a guy that deserves to be on a major league roster um and you know at the end of every spring there's that guy who who you really can't make an argument for why they're not on the team they Mm -hmm. just don't fit the the mix correctly you know um, Munoz would have been that guy last year if if there wasn't an injury in the spring. Um, and then he got a, a lot more playing time than I think a lot of people expected right off the top of the season um, and was a different player when he came back from Memphis later on. So it, Munoz, I think, gives them a flexibility that they're comfortable with, right? I, I know that they talk about all these positions that Drew Robinson can play, and that's great. He can play in the outfield, he can play in the infield, so can Munoz. But they've seen Munoz do that, right? It's sort of a known commodity at this point, what he brings to the table. With Drew Robinson, you're looking at a guy that is, at this point, still trying to prove himself as a, a capable major leaguer. Um, and, you know, that's an interesting position, for them to be in this spring, really trying to earn that spot. And, you know, that's a good thing. We talk about how competition uh, is is actually a good thing for all of these guys. It makes them better. It makes them sharper. And um, <laughs> in the end, the, those, th- these things tend to work out. But it does add a layer of complexity there just because there was so much made about needing that left-handed bat Um but there's also been a lot made about Tyler O'Neill needing to get regular major league at bats um, to, to get his uh, potential to let his potential be realized. I guess Um, there are at bats to be had for these guys, whether you're talking about the infielders or the outfielders, I think maybe more in the outfield when you look at the question marks surrounding those guys, but it's, it's going to be tough for the guys even who do make it, to get the kind of at bats that they're used to. Yeah, um, I'm going to touch on both the infield and and the outfield. I think um, really quickly here. Um, infield, it, say if we're comparing uh, Jerko to Jairo Munoz, um, I like Jerko. I think he's often overlooked. I think he's a perfect bench player. Um, you know, he's good enough to be a starter, but I think on this team, he's a perfect bench player. You know, he's uh, with the acquisition of Goldschmidt and moving Carpenter over to third base, the the uh, infield kind of got solidified in a way that that pushed Jerko out. Um, but he's really improved his. I, I guess you could say he could, he's improved his plate discipline since coming over from St. Louis. Since coming over from San Diego, which was always the kind of the big thing with him, which is that he just couldn't draw a walk. Um, he. Uh, his first season in St. Louis, he had a 306 OBP, uh, 341 in 2017, and 346 last year. Um, you know, and I think that's a really good sign. And you know, he plays really good defense at third base. Um, 
I, I just think he's been kind of, I don't know if undervalued by the fans is the right word, but between him and Munoz, I, I think I take Jerko at this point just because the he has so much more of a complete resume. I kind of yeah. think of, yeah. you know, Jerry Seinfeld used to have this joke about like men who watch, like, I think it was a joke about like the way men watch TV with like the remote control or something, like how they don't care what's on TV. Um, they just care what else is on TV. Um, yeah. Not his best joke. Uh, but uh, <laughs> point being, I feel like sometimes we look at players like that. Like we don't care who's on the team. We care more about like who could be on the team, meaning like the, the right. potential someone might have versus the actual um, known commodity in front of us. And I feel like that's Jerko. So mm. if, if, if I had to choose between Jerko and Munoz, I'm probably taking Jerko, although, although it's a tough call. The outfield, I was looking at some stats um, going back to the last four seasons. And if you combine the number of plate appearances the fourth outfielder got with the uh, with with uh, pinch hitting plate appearances over the last four seasons, that averages out to about 350 plate appearances. Um, so if we're talking about Jose Martinez, you know, the, the uh, at-bats are going to be there. And as you mentioned probably even more so than that <clears throat> excuse me because it's a tricky situation because you know we still don't know how Fowler's going to do uh Bader you know we're talking about a sophomore season you know we've talked about all this stuff before you know Ozuna you know who knows if if he's going to be as healthy as we need him to be so I think the at-bats are going to be there for Jose Martinez um you know and bringing him up not to go off on a side tangent but it was nice to see him get that uh you know, get, get a little bit of a payday um, this weekend. Yeah. That was cool. Um, Tyler O'Neill kind of complicates the situation a little bit because, as you said, um, he probably has the highest ceiling of any of these bench guys we've mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've noted before that I'm not a huge Tyler O'Neill guy. I just don't like that profile. Um, but if there's ever a player I would love to be wrong on, it would be Tyler O'Neill because if I'm, you know, if, if he proves me wrong, then there is just untapped potential there. Um, ben Cerruti noted in a post I had on birds on the black that, but basically I used uh, Tyler O'Neill's baseline plate appearances to show that like guys who strike out 40% of the time just typically don't, have much success at the MLB level. Well, he noted if I lowered that plate appearances to like, I don't know, like like by 20 or something, then Aaron Judge's first season in the bigs enters the conversation. Um, and that's kind of like the dream for Tyler O'Neill, right? Like that Jeff Albert can come in and fix and fix uh, Tyler O'Neill um, at the plate, you know, get that, get that K rate down to like, I don't know, around 25%, I think, as we've mentioned before. And look, I'm not going to say he's going to be hitting 50 home runs like Aaron Judge did, but if if he can kind of improve the way Aaron Judge has, um, you know, who still strikes out a lot, but not nearly like he did that first season um, when he was up for, you know, a few at-bats in 2016, um, th- then that would be just a dream, um, especially because, uh, you know, I think some people still have doubts about his defense, but he's certainly shown that he's competent to play in the outfield right. at almost every position, so... I would absolutely love for us to be talking like at this time next year and everyone laughing at me because I don't believe in Tyler. (laughs) That would be great. I would, uh, we should bookmark this conversation, (laughs) circle back to it a year from now and and see how that goes. Um, But no, I think Tyler O'Neill has a really interesting 
he has really interesting potential for me. Um, and I think it's we're kind of at the point with him where we've often been with a lot of Cardinals prospects in that it's time to see what he can do as a major leaguer. And unfortunately, there's not always that opportunity when you have solid uh, starting position players ahead of you. Just ask Carson Kelly. Um, but it, it seems like there will be an opportunity for him. Um, finding everyone the at-bats that they need is going to be an interesting equation for Mike Schilt. Um, but it seems like there's a, a difference in the communication level so far and and maybe in the willingness of these guys to sort of buy into whatever his overall plan is that would um, that would lend itself to something like this, right? A, a more evenly distributed um, mix of at-bats for those guys who who can be offensively dangerous at the plate. And then, you know, you have your starting guys who you know you you can go to consistently. So as far as I'm concerned, Tyler O'Neill and, and Jose Martinez are really good options as far as the backups in the outfield go. I would note that it was interesting to me to see in that Jose Martinez contract that there are incentives in the contract for if he becomes a starting player, um, which is makes it very clear that that the Cardinals still feel like he certainly has that ability and that there uh, are scenarios that could arise this season where he would be needed to, to slide back into an everyday role, which we've obviously seen him do defensively. It scares me a little bit or a lot, but um, offensively we've also seen that he's capable of, of totally changing the dynamic of a game. So those two guys for me, Jerko, if he's still on the team, he's, he's the guy there. Um, Francisco Pena obviously is a guarantee because there's no one else. Uh, and that, that fifth spot gets a little, gets a little tricky for me between Munoz and Robinson. And I think that's where the, the interest point is going to be through the rest of, of spring for me. I don't know that I have a clear answer on that one. <laughs> um, but I think it'll be interesting to see the opportunities that Robinson gets and the way that Munoz responds to the challenge. Here's a question. Um, one that I imagine will never uh, at least see play out, but who is our third catcher if if that <laughs> situation were to present itself? Like, you know how, like, Yasiel Puig, I think, was the, the – yeah. you know, who is that guy on the Cardinals? Do we know? Well, well that's interesting because I think it was Greg Garcia before. <laughs> oh, well, Greg Garcia was at one point the emergency I wonder who – I, I feel like Munoz kind of looks like a catcher, doesn't he? Um, yeah. I wonder who it is. Yeah. But do we know who that, that person is? I don't actually I mean, it doesn't know. matter. Uh, I don't think we're going to see this. Does that does that give someone like Munoz uh, an edge, though? I can't, if they I can't, can actually. <laughs> I can't imagine it would. Um, but you, know, you never know. Uh, yeah, no, that would be, maybe we should find that out about Drew Robinson before, uh, before this, this brings over. Um, I think at some point Jed Jerko should just play all nine positions over the course of a season just for funsies. Um, so maybe, maybe they could get him some catcher's gear too. Well, he pitched know. last year. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. We know we can do that. <laughs> um, well, we, we know he can. I don't know <laughs> if we'd like to see that again, but nonetheless, uh, that this is always such an interesting part of spring training for me because every season there's a spot at least that gets a little bit complicated for the pitching staff. I think it's, it's Carlos Martinez and Alex Reyes, what you do with those two guys. Uh, and you know, this, this bench, it has a lot of potential to be really, really strong and really capable. Um, and that's a good thing. 
so I guess this is one of those, it's a good problem to have problems. Although I don't think that whomever the guy is who, who draws the short straw at the end of the spring is going to feel like it's a good problem. No, no you're <laughs> right. But what you said before that was on point, which is that at some point this season, we're going to be happy that we have guys like uh, Jose Martinez and Tyler O'Neill and Jed Jerko um, ready to fill in. Um, because as we know, it's only a matter of time till there's an injury. And it seems like such a stronger bench than we've had in years past when like, I remember when uh, Borges and uh, Greg Garcia were the first two guys off the bench. Um, just, in terms of, yeah, just in terms of pop, uh, <laughs> you know, from the bats. Um, it's a pretty good bench. Yeah, I'll, I'll take, I'll keep them. Uh, even if one of them has to, to stay in Memphis, at least for a little while. Um, all right. Well, that's how we see the roster shaking out after what two spring training games, <laughs> three. Uh, so that could all change in, in a matter of days, much like the Carlos Martinez uh, story did after we finished recording last week. So hopefully this is still relevant by the time you all hear it. And uh, if so, please let us know if you have a, a different take on what the 25 man roster will or should look like for the Cardinals. When we finally get to opening day, Alex once again has come prepared with a chirp of the week. So uh, take it away. All right, here we go. Um, I'm backing up to 1990, uh, which was a dreadful year to be a Cardinals fan. It was the only <laughs> time the Cardinals have finished in last place since the year 1918. Um, and that's one of my favorite Cardinal stats. Um, but actually, a very, very cool thing happened in 1990. Uh, one of my favorite things. Um, and that's uh, Willie McGee won the batting title. Um, he hit 335. Uh, now, that's cool in and of itself. But what's notable about this, um, as a lot of you know, is that around the trade deadline, Willie McGee actually got traded to the Oakland A's in the American League. So it's almost like he won the batting title in absentia. Um, um, I remember as this was happening, um, being fascinated by this, because when Willie was traded, again, he, he was hitting 335, um, and that kind of just got frozen in time in the National League. But when he was traded, he wasn't leading uh, the league in hitting. Uh, Lenny Dykstra was. Lenny Dykstra was hitting 340. Um, and so Willie kind of got to just, uh, Willie was able to just sit back and relax, um, not relax, but just kind of watch from the American league as Dykstra slumped a little bit and, and dipped below him and, and ended up third. Um, the final line ended up being Willie McGee, um, led the league with 335, then Eddie Murray and then Dykstra, um, and the reason why that was able to even happen in the first place is because Willie had accumulated 542 plate appearances. Um, and to qualify for a batting title, you need at least 502, which is based on, I believe, 3.1 plate appearances per game or something like that. I don't know exactly how they came to that number, but I believe that's how it is. Um, when this was happening in real time, I was 11 years old. Um, and I remember thinking, wouldn't it be cool if someone could win the batting title in both leagues in the same season? Um, mm. Now, the fact that I just told you you have to have at least 502 plate appearances um, to even qualify tells you right off the bat that it's not even possible. I think uh, <laughs> I think Jimmy Rollins has the record for most plate appearances in a season ever with like 778. So, yeah, it's certainly not possible at all. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do remember thinking, wouldn't it be fun if uh, – Willie also led the American League in hitting, um, but he did not do that. He hit 274 with the A's. Um, 
But again, he got to just sit back and watch uh, as uh, his 335 that was frozen in time in the National League um, stood strong and everyone else fell below him. And he won the batting title in the National League while he was in Oakland. And I think that is one of the uh, cooler things that has happened. Um, that has happened uh, at least in the 90s when the Cardinals uh, weren't that great. <laughs> when there weren't very many exciting no, things happening. No, that, in that, <laughs> yeah, that like 1988 through 95 stretch when, um, you know, it wasn't the best time to be a Cardinals fan, although we still had a lot of fun players. That was one of the cooler things. Yeah, that's. I wonder how much you pay attention to something like that, right? When it's completely out of your hands and you're just sort of sitting back and, and watching it. I would imagine that it's not like a, a daily check-in <laughs> to I, see who's still in the lead. But at the same time, they care about stuff like that. Oh, totally. <laughs> if it was me, I would absolutely be looking all the time um, at it. And it, there was... I, there had to be so little pressure on him because um, yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't have to do anything. I mean, he still needed to help the A's, I'm sure, you know, his new club. Um, but yeah, he could just sit back and watch and, and see how things unfolded and, and everything unfolded very well for him. And it's not even like there was this weight of leading the league when he was traded and, and waiting to see if someone was going to overtake him. So he <laughs> maybe the, the pressure was off a little bit in that regard too because – you know, it really was completely out of out of his control at that point. Yeah, knowing knowing Willie because he always has seemed to be like the most humble guy. Like he didn't even know he won the batting title until uh, <laughs> like he probably didn't even know this was all happening until someone told him, like, dude, you sure, just uh, sure. you just won the batting title in the National League. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I love those weird little things in uh, in baseball in particular that happen when it doesn't seem like they should. So. Thank you for that chirp of the week. You got it. Well, I think that will do it for us this week. There's always more to come from spring training, always more headlines to uh, to dissect as we go along. So we'll be back at it with you next week. Make sure that you're following Alex at AlexCard79 and following me at Tara Wellman, following Birds on the Black at Birds on the Black. A lot of, a lot of things to get in here. Uh, and make sure that you're subscribed or following the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Of course, there's a lot of other content there on that podcast feed. Kyle's doing some supplemental content for the Dirty 35. And of course, Prospects After Dark is always there. Uh, I've got some Winter Wonderland interviews there as well. So plenty of things to listen to on your commute if you only want to listen to the Birds on the Black podcast feed, uh, among all the other thousands of delightful podcasts you can choose from. So we appreciate you listening to us. We appreciate your support and your time. And we will be back with you again next week. So we'll talk to you then.